Hi there and welcome back to the ESPN Footy Podcast. Hello everybody, welcome to the ESPN Footy Podcast for Season 4. Can you believe it? This podcast is proudly brought to you by Subway. Nothing's as big as a foot long. My name's Matt Walsh, Jake Michaels. Good to have you back on board for another year of the pod. Didn't think about exploring free agency in the off-season, did you? Uh, no, I didn't. Four years. That's, I tell you, has that gone fast or has that gone slowly? Well, we've done three. So this is season four. So maybe it's it makes it seem long because we're True. at the start of, uh, start of, of the, the podcast. Season. Yeah. Oh, it's very exciting that they've uh, they've renewed our, our podcast contracts again and we're going for another <laughs> season. Hey, it's great fun. We always have good fun on, on this show. And um, yeah, good to be back. It's had to, had to find the microphone because um, it's been a while. Had to blow the dust off it as well. I did. <laughs> uh, Christian Jolly back on the mic again from Champion Data. Uh, good to have you back on board. Of course, you carry this podcast, so it's always uh, wonderful to have you involved. Uh, good to be back. Yeah, I can't believe, as, as Jake said, yeah, three. I think it's gone quick. Can't believe we're into <laughs> year four already. I, I think it's flown by. Uh, well, time flies when you're having fun. I think that's the saying, isn't it, guys? Well, we may actually, we may we may notch the 100th episode up later in the year, so stay tuned for something special there. Oh, geez, you're promising stuff. Don't know what it is, but we'll have to do something special. (laughs) (laughs) We might not be able to deliver this something special. Uh, Before we get cracking into things, I think it's only fitting uh, on International Women's Day for 2022. This is what we're we're recording on uh, Tuesday. We acknowledge the fantastic work that uh, Marissa Ladanik, Marnie Vinyl and Anna Harrington have been doing with the pod during the women's season. Uh, if you've been tuning in, I hope you've been enjoying it because they've been doing fantastic work looking at the AFLW season from all angles. And to be honest, it's been wonderful to have them on board. They've been uh, really, really good to work with and they've um, carried the flag for the ESPN footy podcast really well. They are, of course, still going. Uh, I highly recommend you do give them a listen, especially as the season sort of hits the pointy end and, and finals around the corner and they'll continue to do their thing uh, in conjunction with us. Uh, but as for the men, however, preseason is now done and dusted, just a few days worth, the Amy Community Series. One round affair, Jake, although uh, some teams had some pracky matches, some were four quarters long, some were six quarters long. It was a bit all over the shop, uh, just to get them run into the legs, I suppose, before the real stuff kicks off. But before we start analysing and overanalyzing all the preseason action, guys, uh, something from the preseason, something from the off-season that you might have noticed, uh, whatever it may be, Jake, anything come to the top of your head? Oh, God. I see. This is, you can tell this is our first episode because you did tell me to think of something and I haven't, I'm not prepared. I'm, I'm, I'm scrambling now. One thing I did notice, I was just telling you before, I went for a run uh, the other day and I, I bumped into the great Chris Judd Um obviously Carlton legend. And um, I tell West you Coast what, you know, do. just, just looking at him, I thought he's, he's just a small man. Like you look oh, at the midfield, you look at the midfielders. Now that we have some of these big guys in the league, Bont and Petrarca and Fife and these guys, and you think, gee, it's just the way that the athlete develops over time. And in such a short period of time, even look at players like Wayne Carey. And now you look at the key for the size of a key forward now. It's incredible how much bigger these guys are getting. Mm. Where does well, it key, where does it end? The key forward was sort of a 190 to 194 centimeter. You look at that's like a mid now. Favola or you know Alistair Lynch from these sort of days gone by, and now it's Max Kings at 204 centimeters or whatever he is, and and you've got guys that are legitimately would have been oversized ruckmen in the the 80s and 90s uh, yeah. now trying to do all these really hyper athletic things on the field in the forward line. Yeah, and they can do it for the most part. I mean, if you if you were if you were 200 plus centimeters back in the day, you tap the ball and you walk to the next stoppage. 
<laughs> now you got you know look some of these players they're picking up the ball at full speed in their wrong hand and and kicking on both feet like it's yeah the, the skills of the game I guess that's kind of the point it just made, got me thinking about the skills of the game now and with not to say that they were poor but just what play all players of all shapes and sizes can do now it's it's incredible absolutely Christian anything uh, catch your eye from preseason off season any part of the season. Um, even yeah, probably even started late last season. It's probably uh, on topic with the midfielders you're speaking to. Just a new role that even here at Champion Data we're sort of looking at probably identifying um, mid defender. So we've obviously obviously uh, always had you know defenders, midfielders, forwards, and rucks. We have four traditional positions. Mid forwards have been around for the last ten or fifteen years because it's probably about forty or fifty players that split their time forty sixty between midfield and um, forward line. Starting to see a lot more players do it in defence, and it's been you know as you said only a couple of games of preseason matches being played, but Scott Pendlebury's done it for Collingwood. Josh mm. Kennedy was doing it behind the ball for Sydney in their practice match. Uh, you know, even looking at AFLW, Emma Carney is one of the best ball winning midfielders for North and they moved her to halfback. So it's just a, yeah, just a position that sort of flag to uh, watch and see throughout the season to see how many teams sort of develop into, you know, a, a midfielder who no longer comes out of the centre bounce and rests forward, actually goes out of the centre bounces and goes behind the ball to provide drive and, yeah, um, you know, we've had running defenders. While, Sorry, it was a bit of a Luke Hodge thing for quite a while. Well, that's what I mean. We've had mobile defenders and we've had running defenders, but these are genuine guys that are playing midfield that will spend time in defense throughout the game. We haven't mm. seen a lot of that where you've got guys actually rotating. And my theory was always as a coach, you probably want to keep your back six or seven pretty uh structured and consistent across the game, whereas your forward line, you can throw off a midfield forward or a ruckman forward and maybe doesn't take, doesn't change the dynamic too much. But in defense, is you usually have six, seven defenders. You pick them, you set them, and you leave them. As I said, just a lot more, you know, we've seen Jake Lloyds, we've seen Rory Laird get 30, 40 touches from behind the ball. Now we're seeing genuine center bounce midfielders, like I said, Josh Kennedy and Scott Pendlebury coming out of the center bounce and setting up at halfback across general play. Well, that's interesting. Hey, I like I like it. Get get. There's no reason why your best ball users shouldn't be in those positions. Well, that's what kind of where you want your better ball users coming out of defence because you turn it over sort of in your back half or towards the middle of the ground, and you're in all sorts again right almost right away. So yeah. getting that that first kick or that first handball and and then dash out of that zone is probably where you do want your better ball users. To be fair, interesting. We'll have to we'll have to uh, track some of these players throughout the season. Mm. Uh, something I noticed one preseason week and the email dropped about sort of 6.44 last night. Um, four players were being suspended from the Amy Community Series. Four players in a practice game have copped bans. Two pies, Nathan Kruger, he's been offered one week um, for sort of electing to bump when he, when he could have gone for the ball or it looked like he was going for the ball. Probably fair enough. Raiden Maynard's copped two. He's probably yeah. one of their more important players. Uh, for a sort of, you know, an errant sort of fist that came through and, and, and hit an opponent in the head as he was going for the ball. Um, GWS, Braden Pruce, West Coast, Alex Witherden. Brucey. The thing I find interesting, three of those names, apart from Maynard, these are guys that are probably on the precipice of the teams that they're trying mm. to play in, um, probably trying to lock in a, a place for round one. So you can kind of see that, yeah, they, they want to attack the footy with some vigour. But, gee, they haven't done themselves any favours, have they? You know, you know when you go like um, you just you just uh, drove to Adelaide and back, I believe. So you know yes. when you go on a big sort of road trip over Christmas or Easter, and they say it's double demerit points if you're speeding, double demerit points. It should be the same in preseason. If you are suspended, double <laughs> it for a preseason game. 
You should not be getting yeah, suspended. So they double it for a grand final, don't they? How can you say a preseason game is the same level as a grand final? I'm pretty sure because they it's do. A, it's a it's practice the, game. It means nothing. Take it easy, Phil. Why are you getting suspended? It's like it's like the NBA All-Star game. It's a <laughs> it's just have a bit of fun, get ready, and that's it. Like you shouldn't be getting suspended. No one should be playing that hard. And you don't the other thing is you don't want to get injured. Yeah. You really want to get injured? Been a few injuries too. I know. And this is you know this is and we'll talk about it a bit later about how is the length of preseason the you know right or wrong, but yeah, I guess injuries and, and suspensions, it's not what you want to see, especially to big-name players. No, and you look at a coach like Craig McRae in his first season, and he's seeing these players getting suspended, and, and he's going to have to move the magnets. It's just not the stress that you really want yeah. in that that first, I guess, main week, the first main, first home and away season on the job. So, Good player, you know, Braden Maynard. Good yeah. player. He's very Important good. player. Has a, has a bit of a hot head at times, as I'm sure we've yeah, all noticed over the seasons. Uh, let's get into the, the main body of the podcast. Um Speaking of coaches and, and moving magnets, uh, there are a few coaches that are beginning, going to be going into 2022 under a significant amount of pressure, Jake, because uh, like it or not, some coaches haven't delivered to the expectations. Others have, have tried and tried and tried again and, and fallen short, and others are either new into the job or have just won a flag uh, in, in the case of Simon Goodwin in particular. But we released our ESPN coaching pressure power rankings uh, on Monday. So you can check that out on ESPN.com.au forward slash AFL for the full list and explanations of where each coach is and why. But it is a big year for a number of coaches. Who's your number one for being in the hot seat for this season? Um, I think it's uh, so, so you wrote this, you wrote this list and did a great job of it. So you're the number one you had is very, you can certainly understand that, but I've got a different one who was high on your list. It's Chris Scott. I don't know how there's another, another coach that is under more pressure than Chris Scott going into this year. He's been at the helm for the, for Geelong for what 11 years now. Yes, he got he won that flag in the first season, but it's been failure after failure since. And you could argue for eight of those 11 years from a talent point of view, he's had either the most talented or second most talented list every year. Every year. And they they've continued to neglect the draft and bring in and top up with experienced and talented players. And they have failed and failed and failed. And they got to that grand final a couple of years ago against Richmond. And, hey, they had one hand on the cup. I, I thought they'd won it just before half time, And they ended up losing it. And I, I just think there's so much. that he's, he's been given contract extension after contract extension. And you just got to, at some point, you got to look and say, you've had all the resources to, to win another premiership. And and see, and people will say, well, the the first one was Bomber Thompson's team. So, do you how much credit does he get for the first one? I'm not going to take away. He's still he's still there. He still won it. But I think if you look at the teams that he's had over now 10, 10 11, 12 years, it's I'd say it's a bit of a failure, given that he's only won one and only reached two. Yeah, the, am the I missing point, one? The two. point that you I think you make that I'm I'm kind of on board with is that. He hasn't, every kind of year you hear about these draftees, they bring in, oh, they look good during preseason. You know, Jordan Clark, who's now at Fremantle. Mm. Or you look at someone like, you know, Quinton Narkle, who comes in with high expectations every year, but then just doesn't get on the park for whatever reason, whether it's selection, whether it's form, whether it's injury, and just hasn't been given opportunities. You know, and and instead trying to top up a list, which to be fair, has been working-ish for them. And, And while they're in this window, which they've clearly been in, 
Uh, it is worth topping up with with players that that are you know Isaac Smith's age or you know, Jeremy Cameron's a bit younger, but like you go after these players because you are in the window. The thing yeah. I can just see happening pretty quickly with the Cats is the window will close, and there's a couple of teams sort of in, in the same sort of vibe. You know, Adam Simpson at, at, at West Coast is probably another where you just feel like the, the top heavy talent is is thirty plus or twenty nine plus or whatever yeah. it is. So the window is closing pretty quickly, and then you've got to wonder. It's sort of the Clarko mold, you know. Does a coach who's been there for such a long time, do they have the patience and the time and will they be afforded the time to go through? Well, that's the other thing. He may be he may be keen to stay. You know, if they lost some players, he may be keen to stay, but the club might say, well, no, we, we, want, we want someone and, fresh. Yeah, yeah. I, I just think that it's not a criticism of him because I, as you said, Adam Simpson is, is another one in a similar boat, although I would argue that Geelong's had probably more, more talented players. I mean, you bring in players, you, you bring in, Patrick Dangerfield and Jeremy Cameron and some of these type of players, they're, they're the best players in the competition at their position when, when they came in. Like it's, they've, they've brought in some serious players to, to, to gel with the, with the A graders they already had. And they've just consistently failed in September. And I think that's the biggest frustration for Geelong fans, because as you say, each year it looks like they will be able to, they'll be able to challenge for it. And they just fall short when it matters. And, and looking at their, you know, again, talking about a one-week preseason, but the Amy community team, it was 26.6 years old, so over 26 and a half uh, years old on average. Uh, there was only that doesn't, that doesn't on sound old, but I'm guessing... Yeah, well, there's only a, one other team on the weekend that was over 26, and that was Richmond. Uh, comp average was around 24 and a half. So, again, you're usually playing most of your kids, and you're probably playing a younger team during uh, the preseason. They had the oldest team uh, last night against Gold Coast. So... Yeah, you can get a sense of they're they're definitely they're not they're not ready for rebuild yet. They're going again this year. But the yeah, worrying part of that point is the the old their best players are the older players. It's one thing if or you've got all this young talent coming through and the older players are there to support. But I would say eight of their best ten players are, are around that thirty plus mark now, if not nine. So that's the worrying part because as Matt said before, they are going to have this drop off inevitably at some. You can't keep topping up forever. We, yeah, and it's a bit of a, it's weird because it's a bit of a catch twenty two. It's like you know if if Geelong decides to go in a different direction, you might not get a coach who's any good. But if you keep on with Scott and you keep you know getting close but not quite, and, and then you embrace the rebuild and, and the Cats have to you know drop down the ladder for a bit, you know what would have been had we changed the coach. So there are a lot of these you, know, you just don't know. The grass may or may not be greener. So but but the pressure's there because he's had as you say he's had arguably the most talented list in the competition over a decade over the yeah. course of a decade. Yeah. Uh, and just hasn't been able to do it. Um, you know, Christian, you've talked a bit about West Coast and, and a similar kind of vibe in that what they're doing clearly hasn't worked for them over the last couple of years, given the list position that they're in. And, and Jake, we've gone through the list and looked at their best 10 players. And I think eight out of the 10 were 30 plus. And, and it's they're going to be sort of a, thing. Yeah, similar kind of vibe where, yep, you can keep sort of treading water with these, with these players, but unless you really embrace... You know, sort of these 24, 23, 22-year-olds that you might have invested in quickly and get them up to speed at AFL level, you might find that they're going to have a bit of a drop-off, Christian. Yeah, I like that term that you use about treading water because that's what it seems like a lot of the clubs are doing. And, you know, we saw Sydney probably do it a bit better, but for 15 years they said, we can't bottom out. We The market they were in, they just needed to tread water and hopefully that they never bottomed out, that they would just tread water for long enough, get enough talent that it, you know, hit a premiership every four or five years and sort of... You know, they've had a couple in the last uh, 15 years. And sort of like you're right, that's Geelong and West Coast. You know, again, I go back to some of Jake's points of calling it a failure for Geelong. I get that winning a cup's 
you know, probably consider not winning the cup is considered a failure. But for Geelong, they're making finals every year. They're they're at the pointy end of the season. So they're getting to where they want to be each year, but they just but haven't if, been able to win the Oscar prize. So it is. If started 2012, that Geelong wouldn't win a flag in the next 10 years, would you be surprised by that? Yeah, you would be. Yeah, you would have thought. And exactly you would consider it a failure. And again, it's 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 not yeah, to it's the, say the that ultimate it, success, only yeah. one team wins wins it. Yeah. Not every team's, not nine teams are winning a flag every year, but you don't look at, you don't look at North and say, oh, it's a failure. They haven't won. You know, it's a dip. They're in a different. They're doing a been a, in a different position over the yeah, last. Yeah, but team. I think again, just looking at teams, um, team wise, you know, I think Hawthorne was one of the teams that they, I felt like they never really treaded water. They had their they had their three peat. They got a few older blokes in. Then they started getting rid of Sam Mitchell for pick mm. eighty, and and they just freed up space. And they've they've gone into full rebuild mode now. It's when is Geelong and West Coast going to you know rip that bandaid off and go? Okay, we've yeah. done what we can with this list and go into rebuild. Neither of the two look like that's happening anytime soon. So it's we'll interesting see, I mean. because just on the Hawthorne point, the the team that's kind of in that position now is Richmond. So they've obviously had that success. And now we we sort of sit here and wonder where are they going to sort of be? Do they now think, right, we've had that period of success. We've been the dominant team for five years or so. Now do we try and bottom out, not for lack of a better sort of phrase, bottom out to then replenish the list and then make an assault again rather than trying to tread water and then you're kind of in AFL wilderness for the next decade? Hmm. It's a good question. Oh, I, th- I think Richmond's fascinating where they how they play the next sort of eighteen to twenty four months. Um, elsewhere on on the power rankings, on the pressure power rankings, Jake uh, copped a bit of flack for having Hinkley not in the same spot near where Chris Scott was, and I thought that was interesting. Given I think a lot of power fans want Hinkley to be under a bit more pressure than he possibly is. There's a big difference I think though between Port and Geelong, and that's that Port has a bit more time on their side. Yes, they've, they've yep. been arguably a top two team when, where they finish on the ladder the last couple of years and have, have fallen at the at the preliminary final stage, very reminiscent mm-hmm. of Geelong. But the difference is their talent, I think, is spread over a greater number of like age groups. Yeah. Uh, and and yes, there are a couple of older players. You know, Trav Bokes had a bit of a renaissance in his career. You know, Charlie Dixon, these kind of guys. But Mitch Georgiades is looking like one of the yeah. you know the up and coming forwards and of, the, of the competition. Wines has just won a Brownlow. Hinkley and Port need a lot of credit for their drafting. Their drafting has been as good as anybody over the last few seasons, and that is a that's a critical point to all of this. Yeah. Again, to the to what we were just saying, not everyone's winning a flag. Uh, Port's been just about the best regular season team over the last couple of years, and they've won finals. They just haven't been able to go all the way. Would you be surprised if Port made a grand final this year? I probably wouldn't. Like they're they're in that sort of window at the moment. Um, and they've got a lot of young players that are only getting better. Brought in some some talent too. So, yeah, I, I, look, I I get it. He's it's part of it is because he's been there. How long's oh, Ken yeah. been there? Eight nine years. He's been there a while now too. So, um, I get it. Like it's frustrating, but I I don't think they've he's been he's ridden the ups and downs though a bit, Ken. Yeah, I don't think I don't think they had expectation even going back. 24 months ago when no one really had expectation that Port would be a finalist, let alone let alone um, finish top of the ladder and actually challenge for a flag. So I think they've 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 surpassed their expectations. And that's kind of what you what I would judge a coach on. Where do, where do I think they will be? Where should they be for their list? And how do they go? And I would say more often than not, they're they're surpassing that benchmark that most people would set for them. 
Uh, as I said, espn.com.au forward slash AFL. You can find the coaching pressure power rankings there for the full list. Before we do move on from this, though, uh, three new coaches, Craig McRae, Sam Mitchell, Michael Voss, Christian, who's under pressure the most as a new coach? And I know that you, you say under pressure relatively. Who's the most under pressure out of the newbies? Exactly. It's probably, it probably comes down to the club they've been instilled to, but Carlton have probably been, you know, Carlton have probably shown that they're, you know, and if it's board or whoever's making the decisions is clearly, um, you know, thought Carlton should be up within, you know, the top echelon of teams um, by this stage. And that's why, you know, obviously uh, Teague lost his job. Um, I think it was very similar to just, you know, towards the end of Bolton's career, they just didn't feel like they were getting as high. So I think the expectations will be the highest internally on Voss. Um, I don't think, you know, I, I think if you ask Carlton, um, uh, people that would say they expect to play finals this year. I don't think Hawthorne or Collingwood are probably aiming to get, you know, guaranteeing themselves to play finals. So I think I'd give it to, give it to Voss. Yeah. I, I think Sam Mitchell though, like I agree. I don't think many people are expecting Hawthorne to play finals, but I uh, tell you what, it's, it's, it's like anything, you know, you're going, you're going in, you're replacing who everyone regards as the greatest or one of the greatest coaches of all time. And if you start the season one and five, Everyone's going to be saying, "Well, what do we? Why did we do this?" No, I disagree. And I think the, I, I, I don't think the, Horth, the club will react and after eighteen months and say, "No, nah, we need a." We, they, the club will be patient because they obviously want to go down this path. But I think fans will be thinking, "Why did we make this change?" If they start poorly, and let's be honest, they're not going to be a, a top, a top ten team this year. They're probably uh-huh. not going to be a top twelve team. I think Hawthorne fans are going to be patient, Jake. I think that they've they acknowledge. Have what you met any Hawthorne fans? <laughs> I know, I know a few Hawthorne fans, and I've had a chat with a few Hawthorne fans. Um, and and I think that they they understand. They they know that the they got him in. They got Mitchell in this as in for this season. You know, ahead of time, getting getting not getting rid of is a bit harsh, but but you know, moving Clarkson on because they knew this would be in in for the long haul. And I think fans know and appreciate that. So that's why. In the rankings, at least, um, Mitchell was in the, the the sort of the tier above in terms of under less pressure than McRae and 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 Christian, as you said, Voss I think is the most under pressure of these coaches because you're right, Carlton's in a win now ish kind of mode, and if they miss finals this season, well, I mean, I'd I'd hate to be in that position. I'd hate to be a Carlton coach at any time, really, given the way that they kind of sort of cycle through. And, and this is career stuff for Voss now. That's this is second time number around. two. If, if you don't last longer than 24 months, you, you're never going to coach again. Yeah. Oh, at least uh, I wouldn't have thought so. Oh, no, I, I agree. I think I think there's a big risk there. So um, it'd be sort of super interesting to follow their three journeys, McRae, uh, Mitchell and Voss, because they're all kind of in different, different seats, really, and, and, and different trajectories of where the club is expected to yeah. be going. So... Um, Oh, I guess speaking of those three new coaches, we got a first look, I guess, at, at what clubs have been trying to employ during the Amy Community Series, which, as we said, just the one week, um, if you don't count the practice matches that clubs organise. But, Christian, I guess three new coaches, you're going to have three new game styles. I know it's a very small sample size we'd be looking at, but is there something you might have noticed that, that, that these kind of guys are going to be bringing to their sides in 2022? Yeah, you're right. Trying to trying to take it from one game is always hard to sort of make a big sweeping statement about the season. But you're right. I sort of took those three teams and looked more at yeah the game style stuff. So not just you know did they win the contested possessions or did they win the clearances in so fifties? That's going to come with application and skill. And you know it all, all depends on you know how well the players play. But 
game styles is things you can look at and sort of say, well, what's the coach trying to do and what what type of signature can you start to see from some of these uh, new coaches? So starting with the Hawks, um, yeah, to me it was it was really sort of fast, crisp ball movement that I noticed. Um, so their mark play on percentage from the weekend was the highest of any team. Uh, last year, um, they, they had a the lowest kick-to-handball ratio of any team, so there was a lot of handballing side, which, you know, again, handball can be seen as a helter-skelter part of the game, but I don't think they were playing the helter-skelter handball. Mm. There's a lot of uh, sort of handballing around just to find some space and then chip it sideways and sort of go a bit slower. Uh, they had the sixth highest kick-to-handball ratio, so there was a lot more kicks, a lot more playing on, a lot more taking the game on. Um, accuracy didn't hurt him again, you know, sort of said I wasn't going to talk about totals on that, but the game style held him in good stead playing against Richmond, who were one of the best teams at territory. They were negative one inside 50 for the game. So they had one fewer inside 50 than Richmond. So I think they lost by, you know, five or six goals, um, a lot to do with accuracy and just that final kick going inside 50, they probably just lacking a target, but you can see that it was the, the crisper, faster ball movement. Uh, they scored six goals, six from clearances, so 42 points, which was the third most of the weekend. Last year, they were 17th for points per game coming out of the clearances. So, again, really getting on their bikes. If we win the stoppage, we can get it forward rather than, um, you know, maybe in previous years winning the stoppage and playing that concert. All right, get it out of the stoppage, get a mark out in space, and then sort of slow down and take it from there. Mm. Uh, really looked like they, where they could, they were trying to take the game on. And it's, it's sort of similar to uh, the other two clubs I looked at as well. Collingwood, I think probably their biggest frustration um, in previous years was it was they were just built around defence. And I talked about their defence started with ball in hand where they just went so slow and kicked so carefully and sideways and went forward and backwards the most of uh, sorry, backwards most of any team. Uh, kicked forward 98% of the time on the weekend, 88% last year. So they went third highest on the weekend. Uh, for kick long percentage as well, 46% of their kicks, they went for a long target, was 36% last year, and it was the lowest last year and up to third this year for, you know, the one week of Amy series, so um, which improved their ball movement. So they went from bottom five of moving the ball from the back half to sort of top five or six. Um, and again, their pressure was probably another standout. They, they weren't, again, Collingwood in the past, their, their defence was based on their setup, not so much the pressure on the ball carrier, but their pressure on the ball carrier was the sixth highest for the round, which... Uh, was 14th last year. So that's something I noticed with Collingwood. They were willing to take the game on a little bit more with ball in hand. Mm. And they were also more in your face pressure-wise when the opposition had the ball rather than just rolling back and trying to protect their their back 50 like they have in I suppose years. that's that's kind of an offshoot of, of being able to kick along more. And yeah, you might get a few more halved contests, but clearly then you're you're backing your players on the ground to provide the pressure that is needed if if the ball doesn't fall into your hands after that after that long kick. So the transition out of out of defense and just getting the ball out of there and, and then having pressure immediately on the ball if it spills free is probably I guess something they're trying to implement uh well you know with it with a new coach you're trying to implement that to get um pressure on the ball maybe force a turnover and then you're already sort of in your forward half or, or up in the middle of the ground instead of just having that constant pressure on the defense which yeah I mean it, as you say it was a strength of theirs but you're right it's it's high risk so it can it, and that's the problem with Clubs, you know, it can hurt you going the other way, trying to play the style that Collie was trying to move to. Whereas, yeah, as I said, they always played the conservative style of, okay, we'll try to beat you 60 to 40 across this game because we're just going to go defensive. But, yeah, it could make their games more exciting. But it could, again, you know, you hope that, as Jake sort of said earlier with Hawthorne, you know, if Collingwood are 1-4 or 1-5, you hope they don't go back into their shell and sort of mm. give up on this, you know, this um, sort of quicker ball movement that they are sort of starting to show mm. um, across the early uh, preseason. And for Carlton, I mean... 
Yeah, they again out of the clearances. So just their work from the stoppages again. This is application and player more so than coaches. But they won the clearances forty nine to twenty six. So they just absolutely dominated Melbourne at the clearances uh, last year. They were negative four per game at that. So they were definitely better in there. But just their exit out of there. So we sort of measure what your first disposal out of the stoppage is. Um, and to me, it was for Carlton in previous years. They really struggled to work the the ball out through handball out of stoppages, which you know again is probably a bit more damaging than just kicking the ball blindly out of a pack uh, from a stoppage. They exited the stoppage uh, with a handball 59% of the time in week one of the preseason, which was the fourth highest of any team uh, compared to 11th most last year. So um, to me, yeah, the ball movement out of stoppage, they had the lowest kick to handball ratio of any team, our second lowest, sorry, of any team across the first week of uh, the preseason. Um, and all of that sort of, yeah, it, it showed out of the stoppages. They scored 46 points from stoppages for the round, which was the most. They were 10th last year. Um, and as I said, yeah, second most handballs of any team. So to me, it seemed like Carlton were really trying to play that fast link handball, and that started straight out of the stoppages uh, going forward. Interesting stuff. And uh, I, I think the thing with the Blues, as you say, the thing that really stood out, uh, I, I sort of watched most of that game, and the, the pressure in the middle and, and – you're actually using players in positions that they seem to be, uh, well, seem to have originally been drafted for and, and earmarked for. You looked at someone like Matt Kennedy uh, getting involved at the coalface uh, and, and, and thriving. Patrick Cripps actually being one of those big clearance balls again in, instead of, you know, trying to work on his, um, you know, breakaway speed and all that. I mean, that's not what he does and what he should be doing. It, it just sort of seems like with a fresh pair of eyes at the club, you can go, this is what this player is good at and this is what we're going to use them for. And this is clearly, I think, what, what Voss has sort of looked at and said, well, this is the style that, that suits the, the playing list that he has. Yeah, no, yeah. Mitch McGovern uh, down back looked really, really good. I mean, yeah, again, Kennedy into the midfield as a genuine midfielder. But then, as again, putting my Carlton supporter hat on, was that as, you know, watching Hewitt, Chera, Kennedy all get 30 touches and Cripps kick four, I thought, geez, have we, have we peaked too early? Like <laughs> putting a supporter's hat on, was it was almost, it was almost too good to sort of see some of the, some of the numbers, you know, I does, think. Does Walsh get back into the team? Yeah, well, yeah, he might have to wait till next year now. But yeah, I think Chera, Kennedy and Hewitt all ended up with 30 plus. And then, as I said, with the Cripps, the four goals. Um, you can only dream that happened every week during the home and away season. But yeah, it, it was, uh, as I said, it was very much the connection through the midfield though, as I said, with that link up of handballs to me, it seemed like, yeah, they've got a, they've got a really good um, midfield bunch that's going to grow together. I think Zach Fisher, you throw in there as well. Um, he's been there previous years, as we mentioned, mm -hmm. Walsh to come back into it. Uh, but yeah, there's a, there's a lot of handball, a lot of fast ball movement. I, I think it really, really hurt Melbourne in that first half. Uh, with the, the caveat, of course, that uh, I'll, I'll say it again, we've only seen one week of sanctioned AFL preseason action. But wider comp stuff, have you seen any trends or, or, or anything that has jumped out to you from, from the wider competition that we might start seeing a bit more uh, in 2022 compared to 2021 or, or previous years? Well, it's, it's sort of deja vu, but it's not. So every year around, you know, we usually do this after round one or two and we include preseason as well. And obviously... Weather's good, venues are good, all the players are fit. So usually we see the transition numbers up, end-to-end -end ball movements up. Scoring's always higher earlier in the season than it is later in the season. Um, but the signs, you know, aren't aren't great. I mean, the ball movement from back half, the ball movement from back 50 was sort of up for um, up to, you know, usual pre-season levels, if that makes sense. Uh, so it was about... Uh, just get my numbers across here. Uh, so 23% of the time, they went from back 50 to forward 50 teams in a, in an unbroken chain. So 
you know, almost one in four. Um, that's been down to 19% in 2019, 18% in 2020, came back up to 21% last year, you know, might've been the man on the market. And it's up to, as I said, close, you know, 22, 22 and a half. So that's slightly higher, but it always is at this time of year. It's probably little things like, yeah, the points were, it was only 81.2 points per game, which is back to, you know, where we were in 2000 and still below where we were in 2018. Um, and again, usually we see, goals per game probably dropped by about a goal between the start of the year and the end of the year. So uh, finished last year with, you know, teams averaging 79.8 points per game, 81.2 in the first week of preseason. If you took, you know, law of averages, then we might be down to 75 points per game by the end of the season. Um, if Something we learned last so, year was scoring and accuracy. And, and Yeah, and the accuracy is another one that, again, only one round of it, but accuracy was down to 46.9%. Um, as I said, we dropped down below 50% for the first time ever in 2017 um, and 469 It's slightly higher than 2019 and 20, but it's down from last year. So, again, it's it's one of those ones you get asked every year and it's usually the same things that are up. Ball, you know, as I said, ball movement, Um uh, scoring, you know, is usually up and scoring per inside 50 is usually up. They're all sort of around the same levels as where we ended in 2021. So, again, it's not, I don't know if it's all doom and gloom, but there's nothing to sort of, yeah, that there's no, and there hasn't been any. You're not big, getting us too excited for this. Well, season. there hasn't been, I was about to say, there hasn't been any big sweeping rule changes anyway. So, I think they're just hoping that the game sort of fixes itself, um, you know, evolves. I think, I think the man on the mark did, you know, open up the game a little bit last year. Um, and yeah, hopefully it just continues on that way. But again, stoppages are slightly down um, than other years, which is another thing they're trying to get rid of the game. But again, it's it's very similar to 2021 and where the game was heading. Mm. Yeah, well, scoring and accuracy is, I think, one to keep an eye on because, as you say, you know, no torrential rain down at Geelong at the moment, um, you know, Adelaide and all that sort of stuff. I mean, it might be a bit moist up in Queensland, but yeah, scoring accuracy is uh, the last few years, as I think you've highlighted on the, on the podcast a few times, Christian, just that, that, that trend down. of It's going down a percent every year, basically. Yeah, <laughs> it's not looking so, good. Uh, so we'll have to keep an eye on that uh, through the early rounds of the home and away season uh, and beyond. Um, moving on, guys, something a bit fun, maybe just uh, some classic sort of off-season or pre-season content, but uh, the Australian test teams in, in Pakistan at the moment for the first time in 25-odd uh, years, uh, which Awful is great test. to see. Awful test. Uh, terrible, terrible pitch. Um, batter's dream and, and still no Australians managed to make 100, which is, I find, no. truly bizarre. Uh, but I, speaking of, of this series, someone on Twitter, I can't remember who it was, so apologies to this person, but they were talking about um, the Pakistan national team and, and their sponsorship with Pepsi being one of the most iconic and long-running sponsorships that we've seen and had uh, you know, if, if you're if you're grouping the Pakistan national team, you think well, Pepsi clearly is their sponsor, and like that's just how it's always been. Like, you can kind of go back through 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 time, and you still sort of would see on their jerseys that that iconic logo. So it got me thinking about some of football's most iconic and long lasting sponsorships, and and who you just automatically associate. And I say who, which teams you automatically associate with which companies, and and vice versa. Jake, anything jump out at you? Uh give me give me give me one that you got first. Well, the, the one that I think is the most obvious one clearly is Geelong with Ford. I think it's 100 years it'll be in 2025, their partnership, which is just outrageous. Like, given where you sort of think sponsorships and, and affiliations of, you know, and mostly a, a modern kind of thing, the fact that Ford and Geelong have, have been 
entrenched with one another for almost 100 years is, is outrageously. My, my one similar is not 100 years, but Hungry Jacks and uh, West Coast. Yes. Again, just thinking that what Hungry Jacks is, I know, it's, I know it's an international brand, but it's a national brand. It's a national franchise. We haven't in all states yet. They've been able to align themselves with one club that's based in rival state sort of thing of you know yeah. and it's just what you know i don't think uh, you know frio supporters i still assume eat at hungry jacks but um <laughs> they've got you know they've had the long-running sort of the long-running uh sponsorship i think you know west coast members get a free whopper the day after if west coast win from hungry jacks so they're, they're again it's just as a brand aligning yourself with one team but sort of not alienating yourself from the rest of the countries so like they've done pretty well i think i think freer fans eat at subway just quietly but um... <laughs> you know, it's um, funny you mentioned ford because the car brand i immediately thought of when you said ford was mazda and north zoom zoom that feels like i, I mean i i guess the the geelong ford partnership's been around a long time but i don't know why the mazda north melbourne feels like that's the one that springs to mind when i think of a car Car manufacturer sponsoring Crows. Yeah, they, they always they're, they're Camry, still Toyota they? sponsored. I don't think yeah. they're specifically sponsored. But it by used the to Camry. be Camry, yeah. But they used That's to be specifically, right. yeah, the Camry Crows, which I think I grew up with them. So I think you, you kind of sort of think of them. Um, yeah. well, what else is there? There's a few that are. I mean, Hyundai and Carlton they had a bit of a time off. Um, and it doesn't have to just be car sponsors either. I remember when Carlton was sponsored by like M- Malaysia? Malaysia, Malaysia truly Asia. Asia. Yeah. yeah. There have been, been some strange ones over the years. I think um, like the Giants had Toyo Tires as their major sponsor. I thought that was a bit strange to be a, a sponsor, not by a car company, but a yeah, tire cause, company. Because at half time, a fan had kicked the ball <laughs> into the tires. And that's the guy. The, remember that guy won 50 grand by kicking the footy into the tire thing? Oh, good. Um, going beyond footy, I think like you, you know, the golden age of Premier League growing up. I think like Man United and some of their sponsors they've had, like Sharp. I think was one of their big ones. That's kind of an iconic jump. I think I have a top. David Beckham Sharp Man United shirt in a box yeah. at my mum's place, probably. Not sure <laughs> Sorry, what Sharp mom. are doing these days. <laughs> I've got to say, hey, not sure what Sharp are doing these days. No, but then you what think of they? like America and what a what a commercially capitalist place that is, and. Sponsorships on, on jerseys aren't really a thing. Yeah. They've only really recently introduced on the NBA. They've got oh, like, like tiny, tiny little, little ones. Tiny little patch, yeah. Yeah. Um, um, so those aren't really as iconic as what I thought they might be. But yeah, football, footy, cricket. Is, that, is Arsenal still Emirates? I feel like that really feels very... Well, it's the Emirates Stadium, isn't it? At the very least. Oh, well, yeah, true. Yeah. Yeah. It, Emirates and Arsenal. City. That feels very... Um, Makes sense. That just feels like I've, that's always been like that. Uh, the F1 ones, Jake, going back all the years, like Marlboro. This is a well, yeah, there was a period of time where they, um, where obviously can't advertise cigarettes anymore, but they, they did. I mean, that was, that was all over, over half the cars had cigarette, cigarettes and alcohol sponsorship all over it. I mean, that's, a lot of them still do have alcohol, but, um, and these days, Johnny, betting, Johnny Walker and all that all over Lewis Hamilton's racing suit, but, um, yeah, Formula One. Motor racing in general is very heavily sponsored. It's just sponsorship everywhere. Oh, so the cars, they've got yeah. every every which way. Uh, all right, we'll, we'll send some invoices. Qu- Quantas, the Qantas Australian Grand Prix for a long time. The yeah. Qantas is, Wallabies. Yeah, it's Rolex, Rolex now, but um, look at all this. We're just giving all these free free plugs and publicity to all these companies that don't need it. And and here we are, Subway, very very big sponsors of the podcast, and we thank them for their contributions. Good crew, Subway. Absolutely. Might go get a sub after this. Hey, just fight hype or hyperbole? One of our favourite uh, segments uh, towards the end of the pod, where we or I'll say a statement, you guys tell me whether the hype is justified or I'm speaking in hyperbole. 
Uh, the season opener between last year's grand finalists, Jake, that should have happened years ago. As in, we should be we should have been doing this for years. Yes. Not not Melbourne and Bulldogs play years ago when yes. they both were average. No. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't think I don't mind it. I I don't understand why Carlton and Richmond became this pre this round one game one of the season event. Like, where did that sort of where was that born? Um, yeah. So two big drawing crowds. I mean, you get a big crowd. Yeah, I mean, it, season. they are, but it's like for. They've, I don't think there's really been a period where both those teams have been good at the same time. So there's, it's never been like a massively exciting game. The only thing I would say about the grand final replay or rematch or whatever you want to call it, not that they're going to be winning a cup if whoever wins it, but, and I think Christian made this point to me last week or a couple of weeks ago when we spoke, is that um, you rob your, the AFL robs itself of a marquee game in round six by getting this one out of the way when interest... Let's be honest, footy interest probably starts to ramp up around round three when people start getting back into it. I know for my for myself, it always takes me a couple of rounds to really get back into the swing of things. Um, so that's one thing. But oh, look, maybe maybe by having these two teams play, it's it will sort of generate the interest earlier. So yeah, I'm all for it. Doesn't bother me too much. I think the weirder thing is it's on a Wednesday, the first game, which Are I they don't trying really to understand. Not offend that. Carlton fans and Richmond fans. Why not move Carlton and Richmond to Friday night and have I, the yeah, season open on Thursday? Yeah, yeah. Get Gil. You got Gil's number. Give him a call. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Christian, thinking from your statistical hat, the preseason is too short. Is the statement? Uh, yeah, but they they just can't get the balance right, and the. The big thing it was used to be it was too long because we used to have a knockout series and clubs used to not, you know, used to almost some clubs prefer to get knocked out because they get to go play with real rules when we're playing with nine point goals. So again, it was one of those ones. I feel like clubs would say it's too short, but as I said, we we covered some of those practice matches that they played two weeks ago, and some of them played ten of their VFL players and six quarters, and you're thinking, well, we've only got two weeks to get this right. Why are you wasting one of your weeks playing a non you know, not real game sort of thing, you know, non-standard rule game. So it's probably too short. But again, sometimes if you keep it for too long, some of the clubs just start doing some mm. weird things and, you know, some of the weeks just sort of, um, you don't get real games anyway. So I, I probably would like to see, yeah, maybe a two-week um, Amy, you know, proper genuine Amy series cut rather than one week of practice and one week of mm. official. I mean, you, you sort of wonder what happened uh, behind the scenes when they were coming up with the fixturing given border situations in some states and maybe they only decided that one week is, is sort of best. Just to- And I, I think that was a big part of it because it was yeah. whatever we do, West Coast and Freo have to do the same. So if you, we're going to make everyone play two games and West Coast and Freo can't travel, they can't play each other twice in a row type thing. So I why think that's why, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, most clubs ended up doing, but um, yeah, it's sort of. I think that's why it did come out so late, and it was sort of yeah, a last minute thing. But again, yeah, you'd like to think going forward, by the end of you know 2022 season, we know exactly what the 2023 preseason has in store for all the clubs and when it starts and how long it is. Jake, you spoke to Josh Dunkley, good friend of the pod, who'll be uh, he'll be back at some, point. at some point. Yes, uh, what does he think? Well, he was, I was talking to him about this and he was saying, and it probably surprised me. He said, it's long enough. Like I think fans see preseason as what we just saw over the weekend, what's on TV and the games, but for players in the club, the preseason starts months ago, the players are ready to go. And I don't think players want to play these long preseasons where we have three or four games uh, and 
going back to right at the start of the podcast where we've got suspensions and injuries and all this sort of stuff happening, peaking too soon. I think this, the home and away season, a part of that is working things out for finals. You know, you, you, you're, you're, you're adjusting and developing your team on the fly. So what? We're going to then have a period where we get ready to practice for the finals. I don't know. I, I'm I'm not bothered by it. I'm never. I've never been a huge preseason person. It's not really been. It's never really interested me a huge amount. And I'm kind of glad that from a player's perspective, uh, he's kind of saying the same sort of thing that we don't need more than one game. Fair enough, uh, Christian. You're a little bit older than Jake and I. The last one for you, and we couldn't do a sports podcast without sort of acknowledging uh, Shane Warne. But is he the biggest untimely loss to Australian sport in in history? I think I'm that old to give you the whole history, but uh, <laughs> I, I, I think That's he is. I mean, yeah, you're sort of talking about it at the start. Even, even you know, Jake asked the question pre-pod, is there a bigger sporting identity of the last 30 years um, that sort of transcends just this, just the sport he played in and not only just the sport he played in, but even the country he represented. He's probably as popular in England and uh, India as he is here. So, um, but in terms of, yeah, bigger losses, I, I can't think of one and, it was. It was. I know it's not the right word to re, uh, to use, but waking up and reading the news was so surreal. It was sort of it. The headline didn't make sense, and it sort of clicked on it to read through the whole story. And you just thought, and Jake was saying because he was on in the big bash. He was like, but I just heard from him last week. He was just doing yeah. this two days ago, or this three days ago, and um, yeah, to sort of see someone again. He wasn't. He wasn't playing in the sport, but he was still a big figure in the sport as you know commentary and. Um, still a legend of, you know, and a hero for everyone that follows cricket and probably, you know, a lot of other sports too, to um, sort of go so young and, yeah, in, in the probably, um, you know, right in the middle of his time sort of thing. Jake, fitting then that the great son of stand at the MCG will be renamed after him, given some of his exploits there? Ah, oh, 100%. I mean, you could you could make a case that they changed the name of the actual stadium the Shane wants I mean I, I think he deserves it he, he absolutely you know he's done more for he's done so much for Australian sport and just thinking back to you know like Christian said I, I got the message when I woke up early on Saturday morning and I, my immediate thought was it has to be a different Shane Warne like it can't be the Shane Warne you, ju- you just don't believe it and I think with cricket something about there's something about our cricketers which you feel more connected to I don't know if it's because the test cricketers that is because you you spend your time you know you spend so much so long watching them in the summer, and then a lot of them do now that a lot of that great team from the the early two thousands late nineties they all are now commentating and you just feel closer to these guys and yeah it just it's it's it almost feels like not to not to take anything away from his family and friends but it feels like you've lost a friend and you've lost someone that you know so. I think it's a great uh, a great honor that he that they're going to rename the rename the stand, and I am looking forward to uh, some type of tribute, um, which I'm sure we'll get on Wednesday next Wednesday for the season opener. Um, I, I'm I'm certain we'll get some sort of tribute and a, and a minute silence, and hopefully we get one at every game for at least for the first round uh, around the country, and I think that would be a fitting tribute, and and it shows you know he's. He wasn't an AFL, but he, he's a cricketer. But it shows the the cut through he has in in sport, and not just Australian sport. Absolutely, very well said. Um, yeah, I think we will have a minute of silence, and, and there'll be 
lots of chances uh, to sort of cherish and and, uh, and appreciate and take in uh, all that he did. And, and as you say, the, the transcended sport, you know, transcended the Barassi line. You know, people in far north Queensland know who he is, even though they might be rugby league people because, you know, cricket's one of those sports that, that's played during the summer. But, yeah, um, a big loss to Australian sport and, and an untimely one because, as you say, you know, the banter was always good in commentary, even if he mm. wasn't right all the time. Uh, and and he had years and years ahead of him, and his family's been robbed of of years with him as well, which is which is one of the greatest shames of, of the whole situation. So, mm. uh, yeah, Vale shame. Um, team, before we wrap things up for the first pod for the year, and, and thanks for joining us, all those listening at home. We might have run a little bit over time to what we were going to say, but <laughs> it tends to be the case with this pod. Uh, it's good fun, so we enjoy we enjoy getting stuck in. Just put uh, it on. Footy- you can put it on like one point two five speed, can't you? I only well, discovered the that the board- other day. The Sounding Board podcast talked about this the other day. Uh, I listen to my pods on 1.25 speed. Uh, American podcasts, I listen to 1.5 because they always speak quite slowly, but I've got a problem with speaking a bit fast sometimes. Yeah, so. yeah. Uh, I might have to try it. There you uh, go. Yeah, Cut this fun. 50 down to, to 40. <laughs> <laughs> uh, footy tips, get the app, sort out your competitions, uh, gather your mates, put your reputation on the line, come up with some interesting and fun bets because the season is uh, about a week away. So, Make sure you organize that, the Footy Tips app. If you can all do it. You can do it all there. It's very easy, Jake. Yeah, and, and I think, uh, not I think, we will. We're going to create a competition on Footy Tips for our podcast crew, us, no. and you can join us if you want. We'll, we'll get that sorted and we'll, we'll give the deets next week. Um, okay. It's something that we've been wanting to do for a while and just never got around to doing it. So no. We'll plug no, it on Twitter be- too. Yeah, we'll, we'll push it out. We'll share it. So we'll, we'll all be on there and you, we can join the group and we can all sort of, yeah, just track it. And then there's proof on who's tipping what as opposed to just coming in on a Monday and saying, ah, yeah, I got nine. It was pretty easy week. <laughs> good, good stuff. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Footy Tips. Uh, I'm at Matt Walsh Media, Jake at J Michaels ESPN and Christian, I think you're just under at Champion Data these days on uh, on the Twitter. So if you want to get around us for the season, that's where we'll be. Thanks to everyone for tuning in for episode one of season the podcast it's and keep sending and keep sending questions any, yes. any any champion questions we actually actually we forgot to get to one today we'll have to get to it next week uh about I think it was about 50 meter penalties but we'll get to that because there's still some pre-season stuff to discuss so tune in then uh get your questions in at footy tips as i said on twitter and we'll speak to you in the next one listen to all the latest episodes by subscribing to the espn footy pod wherever you get your podcasts